0: Hello everyone, I am Sachin Agrawal. I am co founder and
1: CEO at Bizongo. I am ready This could be a great intro. Hi, I am Akshay.
2: Hi, this is Saurabh, and you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country,
1: and we want to learn how to build a unicorn.
2: We have seen the internet disrupting how we consume products and services. There was a time when ordering food to your home meant that you needed to first find menus of local restaurants, then call and place your order, and then wonder when your food would reach you. Today, there are multiple apps solving this problem. The same level of disruption is also happening in the B2B space. Traditionally, businesses who would need to buy custom-made products would need to go through a lengthy process of finding vendors, sharing an RFP, finalizing a vendor, sharing a purchase order and so on. The whole process would run on emails and Excel spreadsheets. This is the market that Bizongo is disrupting. Bizongo helps companies to buy custom manufactured products through an online platform with complete visibility and dependability. The Bizongo platform solves for problems of both the buyer and seller, thereby enabling smoother trade and helping grow India's GDP. Sachin Agarwal, the founder of Bizongo, is an IITian with a passion for problem solving, and this conversation is really a masterclass on solving problems in the manufacturing space, shifting consumer behavior and building with first principles. Listen on as Sachin tells Akshay that about how it all began.
0: So our idea was to build an equivalent of, a, let's say, an Amazon in the B2B space, which is more of a full-stack solution, where you can make sure that you are managing the entire process on a cloud platform and the goods get delivered to your doorstep eventually through that service. So that's what we had imagined. And we started building around that only. And that's when our true struggles and learning started building in terms of
1: how to... So I have like a question here before we come to the struggles. Amazon and Flipkart work because they are aggregating demand. It is not possible for one business to go out and acquire millions of customers. So Amazon is acquiring customers in bulk and... Therefore, it adds value. But that is not the case here, right? It's not like these small vendors will have millions of customers. Each vendor will have maybe 5 to 15, 20 regular customers from whom they will get business. So is there really a, a space for building an amazon for this kind of a contract manufacturing sector so i think in the true essence that you spoke
0: about we later on found later on found out that there is no no such space but when i mentioned amazon it was more from a, a perspective of having a full stack solution now what that full stack solution will do and what value it will add Uh, we figured it out much later and that's why those struggles in the initial few years in terms of probably uh, finding the product market fit so yeah i think we started building it and what we saw in the ecosystem that there are many businesses and enterprises who are continuously looking to buy packaging products so we started with packaging as a category packaging in india is a it's an 80 billion dollar industry very few people know It's the fifth largest industry in india and any product that you come across today there is some packaging that is associated with it we thought of packaging as a dark horse in terms of the entire industry business landscape and it actually turned out to be that way whoever customer we went to in terms of understanding how they were managing their packaging sourcing, packaging supply chain, there were hardly any mention of any digital tool or any anything technology remotely associated with those processes and how they were managing it. So we were like, our eyes were lit and we were like, yeah, we have found the right space and we'll just disrupt it. And we started gathering requirements from the customers, started building a full stack fulfillment solution where we were keeping the inventory. So we used to learn from the business or enterprise that what packaging you are buying we will find best supplier for you we will source from those suppliers we'll keep the inventory and we'll supply you just in time within one one day two day three day or in some cases six hours 12 hours and we started building for that that i mean in the essence that you also mentioned that a powerhouse which is driven with Fast fulfillment, tags, and servicing customers and bringing customer delight with that service. And uh, we could just disrupt the industry, but only to realize later on that probably that's not how this industry must be disrupted. And inventory-led model, fulfillment model, which thrives on the promise of delivering fast, quick, and in, in great tags is not something that the customers were really looking for and uh, we understood that it needs to be approached in a much more asset-light operating model where the true power of technology and digital tools come at the fore of uh, bringing the change in the ecosystem, fixing the broken supply chains, fixing the the customer-supplier interactions. Currently, all of that was manual ad hoc and we were coming as a layer in between that broken supply chain to make it even more broken from that sense. And that's why that piece didn't scale. And and like this was still bootstrapped or you raised funds for that piece? No, we had, uh, I think we had raised our series A funds uh, till this time. So we
1: raised seed capital from Excel, then we raised. Uh, and- how did that happen? Like like you had no prior experience and like, like how did you get such good names? So I
0: think again, I would probably call it an out- outcome of the genuine and natural passion that we showed towards this space and our ability to think it from first principle, fail, learn, and do all of that. And if I look back, I can only find those reasons why someone would have invested in us. But I think at that time in 2015, the startup ecosystem was starting to evolve. It was that era where the liquidity was still in abundance and people were looking for ideas to fund. So we got lucky in, in terms of the timing as well. And that's why we could connect with investors very fast. Of course, being from IT helps you with the network and the connections. So all of that happened pretty quickly. And before we were launching the product, I think we had met 20 odd investors and we had started building those connections and everything. So luckily we went into an event organized by Excel and uh, Your Story for uh, marketplaces. And uh, we had to pitch to a few of the Excel partners. They liked our pitch. We won the competition and the same day evening they called us to our office and asked us what you guys are up to i remember pitching to almost every partner of Excellence on that day and the coming day and the next day they Said that we want to offer you a seed round of funding, and that's how things started. So there was around six fifty k dollars, close to three and a half crore, that we raised at that time. and That at least made sure that we had more time to continue to sharpen our hypothesis, and because of that only we could take time to then arrive at the customized good segment as this as the segment of operation. And when we decided that we had no money, so we had to raise another round of funding. So in March 2016, we were able to bring in both Excel and Chirate to co-lead our Series A round of funding. Uh, and. Uh, that was $3 million, so close to 18 19 19 crore at that time. So yeah, and then the struggles that I spoke about, those started post-series A round of funding because that's when we started getting deeper and started getting very aggressive on the fulfillment-led customer servicing model, only to figure out one and a half years later,
1: that's not scaling. And What were the metrics that you saw which told you it's not scaling? Was it like the repeat business was not there or was it that the margins were not there or what were the symptoms. Yeah, I think the key symptoms was First, the repeatability and
0: the predictability of the business was not great. So repeat cohorts from the customers didn't look great. And more than that, while we were all for customer delight, customer experience and creating a, an Amazon type of aura in terms of how do you service customers, still our customers were not happy at all. And then we were not able to figure out that how can we make these customers happy? We are doing everything and the entire culture and the passion is toward delivering customer service. But still... It's not happening. So I think that was the biggest indicator. Why were they not happy? Like, Basically, you're saying NPS score was not great. Like- correct, correct. So we used to do a lot of NPS survey and we figured out that our customers were not liking it. Uh, logically so, because uh, what we had done there, we had built a fulfillment-led service model where we were getting material from, let's say, 100 or SMEs who anyways were very less predictable in their ability to commit to certain tags, SLAs or timelines because the way they operated was absolutely manual, no use of data and technology. So we we couldn't improve their performance by coming in between because these were SMEs who were still operating the way they were operating before. We just applied technology in terms of how well we can service the customer, but we didn't apply any technology in terms of how can sellers service us or the customers better. And that's what led to no betterment of the service levels so customer you should tell us yaar yeah, isse directly work. What are you doing? Uh, when we know that the customer the supplier is going to give him material only in 10 days but the expectation that we built through the design of the model was that we will deliver in 2 days 3 days but most of the times we didn't have the material from the supplier and it didn't work out
1: and that those yeah because your your skus are not fixed like I, for each customer, there are custom SKUs, so uh, it's not like inventory led doesn't really work here. Absolutely, I think you mentioned a very important point
0: here because every SKU for us was unique. We can't, we couldn't do that. That you have got 95 percent fill rate of these SKUs, so now this SKU I can't cannot send to any other customer because I need that SKU of that customer to be able to service that, and that's why it was not resulting into any potential customer delight also. And we realized that, uh, we started realizing that, and we started realizing that uh, as a technology company, where can we truly make a difference to better this? Uh, There was still, we could observe the problems day after day. And we were so committed that if there are so many problems, there has to be a, a viable solution, which really transforms this. Because the opportunity was very clear. And then we started applying first principles in terms of understanding what we do, which truly makes the difference to this broken supply chain or this absolutely manual ad hoc management of uh, hundreds or 200 SMEs that one enterprise is working with. And we figured out that the real transformation that we need to do is in enabling this SME to be able to supply better. So helping with these SMEs and MSMEs with simple yet very powerful digital solutions so that they can perform better. And if they perform better, we are not even needed in between. They can directly supply to the customer, but they will need assistance, support, or digital interface, which enables them to do that in a much better way. So that's when the transition started happening to the desirable business model and what what we are known as today in terms of a full stack B2B trade enablement platform. So we enable trade we today don't play any part in terms of discovering a supplier or discovering a manufacturer what we do we go to customers we understand from customers that customers that you are currently working with is 100 smes but these 100 smes are all operating manually which is leading to a very poor supply chain efficiency for you for them and these are everything is broken manual ad hoc are not helping any of those businesses. So we tell them that we will bring all your existing 100 SMEs on Bizongo's digital platform, will help you digitize your engagement with them. So we go to the customer, by virtue of that, we bring his 100 SMEs on Bizongo's cloud platform and we digitize the way those SMEs operate and we digitize the engagement between this customer and these SMEs, which results in two great outcome in form of Uh, the supply chain efficiency, the engagement, transparency, analytics, uh, and a lot of other things, uh, which is a win-win situation for both of these customers and suppliers. So that's how the business has evolved. And today we have a true cloud platform where we have got 500 enterprises, more than 5,000 SMEs who are digitized by us. And these customers are managing these SMEs on our cloud platform. And uh, we have automated a very large part of the entire supply chain and the ecosystem by virtue of that
1: so tell me the uh, when you had the inventory led marketplace what was your product like a customer would upload some specifications of what he wants as a packaging material and then you would create that as an sku unit and then you would further go to maybe five or seven vendors and get quotes from them and like like tell me what was that product and then how did you change that product absolutely i think you were bang on
0: that's what we were doing gathering customers requirement putting that into much more objective specifications and then organizing rfqs and bidding across several sellers who could service that and basis the best price and best sla commitment from the suppliers supplying it to the customers so that's what we were doing
1: and from there to and you would place the order exactly what order you receive you place the same quantity only or you would place extra quantity or yeah mostly same
0: quantities but because in inventory-led model you get carried away with customers expectation and your ability to manage the supply chain there were instances where we basis customers promise we started yeah verbal commitment we started placing higher orders and that led to we having higher inventory which customer was later on not ready to buy because the customer himself didn't know how many quantities they may need. And that's why the experience remains absolutely broken in that context.
1: Plus packaging also is something where you might have seasonal changes. There might be some special offer. You want to print that on it. and Absolutely. So those are the reasons why, you know, customers who promise that
0: they will buy these products in 2x, 3x, 5x quantities three months later ended up coming back and saying that, you know, we have to do this design change and we can't pick up this inventory. And we started learning that there is a problem in the way we have designed the the
1: business model. So tell me the product evolution then. So from this product, what did it evolve into that the SaaS offering, which you converted it into? Hmm. So from being an
0: alternative source of supply, which we were becoming by the virtue of the inventory-led model, we quickly transitioned to a full-stack trade enablement platform where we don't discover suppliers, we don't discover prices. We go to customers and we tell them that you bring your own suppliers on board on Bajongo's platform and we will help you digitize all of that. And alongside that, we were able to create certain digital services, which led to value addition to both sides of the marketplace in a very quick fashion. So we first, we started building supply chain
1: financing as a service, where when we but like before this value itself, the core product, like just uh, help me like just describe it in words. Like what would it be? Like customers would start creating SKUs for each type of packaging they need and start uploading those designs and all of that. And then run the, what you were doing at the end, like you would exactly. do an RFQ and then vendors would build. And so, so that process, then it became like self-service instead of you doing that service, it became Absolutely. Yeah. So,
0: whatever we had built earlier in terms of over managing ourselves, all those things, we shifted all of that and made it customer facing, where we tried to make it more and more self serve, where we are not needed. Our role is building product, building technology, which is enabling this customer and these suppliers to manage themselves, each other, in a much more efficient way. So, that was the base platform. We termed it as a base platform where we are saying that we'll just digitize everything that you do today
1: which is manual ad hoc and broken so that was the base platform and So customers could run the RFQ process, release a purchase order, and then the vendor can upload the invoice over there, get the payment and even probably some logistics information also they can upload like some tracking number. Absolutely. And all of those transformations which are going
0: around GST, e-invoicing, e-way bills. So the entire digitization which which was anyways happening in the macro, in the overall economy did help us a lot because those became very essential needs of the suppliers to carry out transactions. And we had all of those ready-made solutions where they could really digitize their transaction base within a week, week's time. And we made it quite simple for them to do that. And all of that started seeing a great degree of adoption and the, the customer delight that we were always watching for and always wanted to see that. And this was monetized, this base offering? So we were not able to monetize it from day zero. But once we made customers and suppliers experience it, and once they started seeing the difference and the value that it was able to create, it became a so typical SaaS story that you offer them something for free for 15 days, 30 days, 60 days and when they really see it making difference to them you start monetizing it so we started monetizing base platform but at the
1: same time then we started generating some so much data the monetization was on like what basis like is there a standard fixed pricing plan or it depends on how many seats or uh, like turnover of business or what like so we
0: built simple models which were giving us an idea of the percent that the percentage platform fee that we should charge is the turnover that they were doing on the platform. So let's say if someone is buying 100 crore worth of good, the model would throw that we must charge them this percentage, X percentage of that 100 crore for uses of this service. And the model kept evolving, taking into account various parameters for us too. But we kept it simple. It was always an X percentage of the turnover. But the real monetization start kicking in when we were able to bring in such a large ecosystem on our digital platform started generating a lot of data insights and started learning, observing those data patterns and behavior. For example, what we saw there that these customers who were buying goods from these SMEs, they were paying them in 60 days, 75 days, 90 days. And the ability of for that SME to survive for those 75 and 90 days after having invested in raw material, machinery and other fixed cost was very limited. And just by the virtue of enabling a faster payment to that SME, you can really actually transform the service levels that the SME can offer. Because today, the problem is not in the intent of the SME to supply you. He also wants to grow. He also wants to do business. He also wants to supply on time, deliver customer delight. But he hasn't got resources to buy raw material, to buy, to pay for salaries, and then uh, wait for 75 days for the money to come for the next cycle. So we identified that as a huge gap in and very fundamental gap in the way uh, this entire ecosystem operated. If these SMEs didn't get money faster, there was no way they could improve their service levels. So we identified that as a very strong value addition and what we started building as a FinTech platform. We call it supply chain financing platform. It's a, a SCF platform where now we have plugged in 25 banks and NBFCs who see this transaction happening on Bizongo's platform happening for months and years. So we have built that transaction history and basis that those NBFCs and banks are able to provide faster capital so that the customers pay suppliers in 75 days. Through these banks and NBFCs, we enable payments going to them within 15 days and done it at scale today, close to $600 million sort of supply chain financing we have enabled through the platform. And that has led to the transformation that we were wanting to see in our early days where we could see fantastic adoption. So by telling them that you will get money faster on this platform, we could actually make them do things which they would otherwise absolutely deny in terms of the digital adoption. And we started launching a lot of small pieces, which made their engagement on the platform very truly digital and absolutely self-serve. So that helped us scale and because they knew that these guys are very true to their promise of making sure the money hits my account in 15 days, they started adhering to all of those things and that led to a very beautiful digitization of the supply side and with that benefit coming in, we saw... Drastic improvement in the service levels. There were times when these suppliers were pushing us, we have got the materials ready, why are the customer is not picking us? From the scenario where customer was sitting on our heads and their heads to ask for the materials. So we saw a drastic, pleasant improvement in the way those SMEs started functioning. And that created an environment where we could think of building more and more validated services so that they can be furthered. And today,
1: what we have is a full stack. So, like, I wanted to, like, get into a little bit more detail on the bill discounting that you are doing. So, what is, like, typically it works like this, like, the vendor will get maybe 95, 96, 97% of the bill value instead of the full bill value within 15 days instead of waiting for... Seventy-five days. Okay. Who does the uh, underwriting for this? Like, do you do underwriting and give it to banks and NBFCs, or do you give them data and they do their own underwriting? So today it's a mix of both, depending upon what
0: data points and which SME, what longevity with the platform, what transaction history we are looking at. At, at early stage, uh, when when there is a very credible customer there who is buying from certain SMEs that we are, or like say PNG is buying, so. for example. So. The beauty of this model, which is which we call is a transaction led trade enablement, is that here you are not taking a a credit call on the SME. You are not underwriting the SME, you are actually underwriting the receivables from a very credible enterprise. So what has happened here that today, why these SMEs don't get any financing from banks and NBFCs? because they have because in the current ecosystem they have to take a credit call on that sme which is impossible today in any shape and manner but what we have done here we have changed the credit profile of this sme by having that transaction history and that control of the entire transaction to receivables of a very credible enterprise And that's that does the trick. And uh, we are eventually underwriting the receivables of the enterprise, which is much easier to do. And basis that we are able to scale the program, we are happy to underwrite in certain cases when the receivables of enterprise are highly credible, predictable and everything we are we underwrite it in a lot of cases now banks and NBFCs because of that vintage and transaction history and all they are seeing, they are also able to take those calls by the virtue of the receivables being of a very highly enterprise customer.
1: this is like a hundred percent guaranteed that the payment will go or can there be a dispute on what has been supplied that the the customer says no i'm not paying this because the quality was not right for example
0: so that doesn't happen because in those 15 days we get a a confirmation from the customer that he has checked the quality and only post that confirmation from the customer the payment is made out in case there is a dispute that has to happen before the payment goes out so we have kept that 15 days window for that and again we have digitized that part as well where we have created this what we call e-acceptance where customer actually accepts the good and it comes as a confirmation in terms of an e-document to us which truly reflects the acceptance which can't be disputed at a later stage and doing it in a very scalable way, digital way. So yeah, I think that's also has helped us massively.
1: Yeah, obviously for a bank, then they are purely funding, let's say PNG instead of funding some small SME. Got it. Amazing. Okay. Or in an otherwise scenario, there is no way for that bank to lend to that
0: small SME or MSME. But now they can, and uh, that becomes a that becomes a huge sort of market access for even banks and NBFCs where. Uh, They want to service that market, but today they don't have a way in which they can and the platform gives them that access alongside very little risk and potential scalability. So we've seen banks and NBFCs who started from let's say 10 crore are now disbursing close to
1: 150-200 crore on the platform because of the cash flow. And what do you earn from this? L- like some like percentage of the interest earning would be shared with you.
0: Yeah, so uh, another good part is that because this is again a transaction led supply chain financing, the SME and the supplier also doesn't see it as a loan coming uh, to them. So it's not compared uh, with the classic lending solution where I'm getting money at 11%, 12%, 14%. It's a trade discount that I ask him. I'm helping you uh, this, with this faster payment, sort of a trade discount you can give me. And then your uh, ability to extract value and margin enhance in a big way. We, we say it in life, it is a game of perception and optics in the way people think and behave. I think it gets truly demonstrated here Just changing the setup and the behavior, this becomes a win-win situation for everyone and it still creates a much larger ability for us to continue to monetize and deliver that value in a consistent way.
1: Does the customer provide a subsidy here to, like, say, uh, would a PNG provide a subsidy? Not really. There is no reason for them to do that. I'm just comparing with typical BNPL, where the, like, say, if for example Hero Motors is offering a free EMI, then they are subsidizing that so that the customer buys more. Uh, but that's not the case here, right? OK, that's not the case here, because when they do
0: that, on they're doing it on the final product where they have enough room in terms of the margin. Here we are talking about the input materials where their economics are like they won't pay 1.01% higher if they have to manage it. But the good part is that they're happy if they don't get any value out of it by purely by the fact that they have got 100 SMEs who are their suppliers. We are not changing them, so nobody is hurt sentimentally or in any other way. They are digitized and those SMEs start getting fast payment and because of that their entire headache of managing SLAs, quality input material and everything goes away. And they have a full digitized, absolutely transparent, 100% trackable with great degree of transparency, supply chain and their entire total cost of ownership, what we call goes down heavily because of this entire digitization. So they're quite happy bunch of people and they in fact become our ambassador of course they don't bring 100 smes on day zero they bring five but they see the benefit and they become our ambassador to bring more and more suppliers on the platform so it starts organically so everything becomes very organic in nature we get our customers organically we get our suppliers organically we get nbfc's NFIs, our banks organically and then we see the entire self-serve behavior again growing organically on the platform to make it a very capital efficient service model and very capital efficient stats-like organization and i truly uh, give it to that that because of this self-serviceness uh, that we've been able to achieve we, we are at a scale at a small scale we a EBITDA profitable and uh, we have a very clear path in terms of how that profitability is going to only grow from here
1: So you said in some cases you underwrite, what is the implication when you are saying that you underwrite? Does it mean you take on risk of that or you just give a score here? Like, what does that mean? No, We take the receivables risk in that case where the, what we are
0: telling to the FI that the, we are taking the guarantee of this money coming from this enterprise in this escrow account by this date. And uh, that is basis the transaction, past transaction history, the acceptance of goods, all the documentation. Everything that we have, there is no reason for that enterprise to not enhance. Fortunately, we haven't seen any voluntary defaults or delays on that front. So we stay very scientific in terms of how do we select a customer whom we can work with in this model. So there is a lot of data science and intelligence which goes behind terms of whether we should work with this customer or not. And if we work, what maximum exposure that we can have so that we can continue to minimize those risks. I think again, that risk management, can continue to improve, but we have a very strong data technology and intelligence layer now to be able to continuously improve and improvise on that front.
2: If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show.
1: And you would earn a better margin when you're giving a default guarantee, basically. Like, like your earning share would be higher in that case. This would be same as what FLDG, is, like most fintechs have this FLDG. This is same as that only like first loss default guarantee. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now you told me that because there is so much value add to the SME suppliers uh, of working on BizOnGo platform, you are able to influence them to adopt more digitization. Give me the SME side product so we've spoken of the customer side product like customer can share a requirement get quotation release a purchase order receive invoice and all of that for the vendor side what is the digitization on the products what all of the processes can they digitize which helps improve efficiency so in terms of the entire order lifecycle
0: management it again starts from the very basics of that sku that the customer is buying now that comes to them in a very similar exact form that customer has defined it without any loss of information or there are so many changes which keeps happening sometimes your artwork you you mention about that your design got a little tweak changed it is lost on email threads otherwise but here you get a live input of the real stu that the customer wants to buy you can only manufacture that you can't manufacture anything else so that's the first piece. Then of course you get the purchase order on this platform only. You can only accept the purchase order from here. As you accept the purchase order, it allows you, it helps you build a production plan that if I am carrying this much inventory or if I'm not carrying inventory, this much I should produce in the next five days, this much I should produce in the next 10 days. Basis that he produces, then he can send that intimation that I produce. Let us let me know when I can ship. Or customer has the ability to tell ship on this day. So he ships automatically his entire process of dispatch to delivery in terms of e-invoicing e-way bill transporter selection and tracking all of that is built on the platform so it makes it very smooth and easy for him to deliver a fantastic experience to customer. so it's not us delivering an experience to customer it's that sme who is directly delivering that experience to the customer and alongside all of those things we have found like simple things like vendor management inventory if there are skus that the customer is going to repeat purchase from that sme we provide the entire inventory visibility from him so it becomes a classic just in time jit supply chain model of automobiles earlier which was unimaginable in the in the industry of customized goods now basis of the inventory that the supplier is carrying Customer can also plan it better in terms of their consumption and fulfillment and everything. So it minimizes the inventory,
1: losses, and all of that in the entire supply chain. So the production planning sounds very hard to achieve because there would be so much value of experience. Like an entrepreneur would know from experience that for making 1,000 pieces, I will, for example, need 100 kg of this and 5 kg of this and 7 kg of that. But how did you digitize this production planning bit to predict how much inventory he needs and what he needs to order. Yeah, so frankly, in terms of the production plan,
0: you're absolutely right. He haven't achieved great success in terms of it directly creating a, an impact in terms of inventory management. But again, what we have learned from the JIT, classic JIT business model is that forget about production planning for a moment if you are maintaining a minimum level of inventory at your end you can produce whenever you want if you are ensuring a minimum let's say five days of inventory at your end for this product and at any given point of time you actually don't need a production planning and with an objective of maintaining a certain level of inventory we plan everything which is much more simplified than it needing a very sort of complex design on the production side so we make inventory levels as a target sort of thing and then the corresponding production plan is so simple that make these products by this date that's all it's not that you have to do a lot of over optimization there so it's just it's a simplistic design of the supply chain with the key objective of maintaining minimum days of inventory leading to much higher efficiency and better.
1: So this this inventory is not the inventory of the finished SKU, but of the raw material that if you're saying like five days of inventory, so five days of the finished goods. Oh, five days of finished goods inventory. Okay. So, But this is supplier's own decision that, okay, I will keep extra, I, I will produce extra. Or is it something which the customer gives some sort of information or uh, there's like supplier's own decision that i will keep extra inventory it is
0: supplier's decision but it is agreed with the customer that i want you to maintain if there is an sqo that the customer tells that i'm not going to continue to buy it you do not need to keep inventory i'll tell you when to produce and i'll wait for 15 days to get that but if it is something which i'm going to continue to buy so like that classic parachute bottle That never changes, that changes once in a decade. So for those fast moving high volume SKUs, you're solving a very large part of the supply chain problem where you don't actually need any demand planning. You don't need any production planning. It's just a continuous, what we call it is an auto replenishment a classic JIT auto replenishment, which makes things much easier and simple for everyone.
1: So from the customer side, you would have some integrations with their ERPs where you could do some of these. Can the, this be automated, like placing the order based on what is getting produced based on that data from their ERP, the platform automatically tells the vendor that, does all of this happen? Like... It We have that ability, but
0: hasn't been utilized to, to any extent, I would say. Primarily because the currently the internal ERP that the customers manage and how that is used to interact with the external supplier world, those are absolutely disconnected. So even in today's scenario, the ERP's role ends at generating the purchase order, and whatever is the external linked supply chains, which is which we call it as a vendor linked supply chains, those are still absolutely manual and ad hoc. So. Our solution actually sits at, as a layer on top of the existing ERP where still we haven't seen any need of it, it getting integrated to because they are anyways not talking today. There are anyways, there are no systems or no processes built around that. We are assuming that in future, as things mature, those integrations will further help us bring in more automation, efficiency in the entire demand planning, replenishment, and everything. But I think that's still a probably few years away when we get to that.
1: Okay. You were talking of adding on more features, like what are they now? Like what have we not covered so far? We've covered bill discounting. We've covered the base platform. What else is there? So we have launched, for example, bidding as a platform. So earlier
0: you understood very well that how did we try price and seller discovery, which was massively unscalable and didn't yield the desired result. Now we have again changed that in a more of a self-serve mode where The customer now has the ability to organize bidding across his own suppliers. So today, customer has got 10 suppliers who can supply him the material, but purely because the suppliers are all disconnected. Someone is interacting on WhatsApp, someone on email, someone on phone. Today, there's hardly any bidding which happens between the suppliers to discover the best price. And that concept of the best supplier getting the, the maximum business share doesn't get actually implemented in, in the real world. So we've enabled that on our platform. The bidding platform allows them to digitally manage the entire price discovery process. So it's more of an Ariba type of an experience that we are trying to build there and tailor made for the customized goods so that a true price discovery can happen. And there is a continuous benefit that the customer can extract. And then suppliers also get access to more and more demand. So it becomes a classic, true, real marketplace where the demand is discovering supply, supply is discovering demand, and everything is growing organically. So we have launched that just a few months back.
1: This is open to all vendors on BisonGo. Not so, for example, PNG has its hundred vendors, or HUL has its hundred vendors. So these vendors can be discovered by other companies also. Right
0: now, not right now. It is only helping you manage your own suppliers whom you work with. Or whom. So you can add more and more suppliers, but it is only helping you manage your existing supplier ecosystem. What we are building now is a, is an open marketplace where we will open the access of other customers' suppliers as well after their consent to have that entire marketplace effect playing in form of supplier discovery as well. So that is something which is work in progress and we see as a huge potential value addition that we'll be able to do to this ecosystem. So that's the second piece uh,
1: around that. Which is like life coming full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Like going back to the original idea. Amazing. So That's price and seller discovery. And the third
0: piece, which again is very close to our heart as as founder, is a SaaS label management platform that we have launched. It is called Artwork Flow and it enables you as an enterprise to manage the entire asset library of your SKUs. Because you're talking about customized goods, every SKU has got its own unique characteristic in form of the text on the SKU, design on the SKU, colors, regulation, so many things, which are again, impossible to be managed manually. The truth of the matter is that every everybody is trying to manage it manually. We found that opportunity and we have built a very beautiful label management platform. Which, which which brings in a lot of advanced technology capabilities in, order, in, in terms of being able to read the artwork, uh, the colors, the fonts, the errors, the compliance with various regulatory frameworks and all of those things automatically and provides you a collaboration platform where you can manage the entire upstream journey of bringing an SPU to the life. And what do you mean by upstream journey? Sorry, I don't understand that. Upstream journey, as in like when, before you buy any SKU, you have to define the SKU, which is the colors, font, design, text, and everything related to that. And those continue to change.
1: Multiple stakeholders have to approve it. Like
0: your, yes, your legal team, your marketing team, your finance team, all of them have come on the same pace to approve that. So that entire upstream approval workflow collaboration piece Can now be carried out on our platform integrated with your entire supply chain. So, the moment everybody approves, only then it moves into manufacturing. And you would, when you will probably search online, there are so many cases of product recalls and label inventory going waste because the wrong artworks were printed, they were not compliant, they were not as per the desired condition, and all of that. So it brings a huge element of sustainability also into the cushion where it takes the possibility of any such errors happening and bringing absolute automation in the end-to-end. The true picture of a full-stack solution gets realized as we have this integrated. And The good part is that we have started getting now global customers. We have enterprise customers from four different countries today using our artwork management platform. And something that we see as a great tool for us to start imagining our global journey. As an organization, so
1: does this also have like a Canva-like element in it, where you can do the design part, or is it primarily workflow? Right now, not.
0: Right now, it is primarily workflow. We are continuously working on product development and seeing how can we use existing tools to facilitate uh, the creation of the artwork as well. But right now, I think our hands are full in terms of scaling the workflow and collaboration capabilities itself. There are so many interesting things that we are able to do there.
1: So i imagine packaging label design would be pretty complex because like it's a three dimensional design that you're making and it may not just be straight it, it could be a circular design there could be all sorts of shapes of it and so so all of that can get clearly captured here like what are the angles what is the exact precise measurement where is what to be placed and so that there is absolute clarity for all stakeholders everyone clearly understands what will we get in the end.
0: have a free demo tool also available online on cloud and you can play with artworks and you will see very surprising revelations in the way you can see and imagine an artwork and the various components of it so yeah. Okay, and what is this priced at? So again, as price like a SaaS solution, it is basis the number of artworks that you manage and approve on the platform. so we made it a very attractive variable price. This is purely basis consumption and uses. And our CSAT score for the solution is beyond 70, 80 always. So the customers have truly liked, they have got more than 90% retention continuous renewals and all the beautiful qualities of a true SaaS platform getting reflected in the solution. So the plan is to double down on it and make it a one of the very powerful SaaS offering that we are able to create in this journey.
1: I read about an acquisition of a IoT player that you did. So is there some, some feature that you're planning there? So I think the point that you had mentioned earlier in terms
0: of the production planning, and how it is a very difficult concept to execute and uh, create impact out of it but what we saw a much more simplistic way if we are able to look at the operations of a factory on a digital screen replicated what we call what we term it as a digital twin so you create a sort of a digital twin of a factory where you observe the material flow process flow the machine running time energy consumption and all of these things And you find out those classic bottlenecks, which if removed from the process by applying very simple logics, algorithms and intelligence, you can actually improve the production efficiency or the throughput of the factory on a whole. So rather than going into an SQ level, if you apply it on a factory level and try to identify one or two or three things which can improve the efficiency of your manufacturing process, That is a much larger impact in terms of the entire manufacturing planning. And it's not that it's not done. So the acquisition that we did, these guys were building these solutions for the likes of Maruti and Bosch in an advanced manufacturing setup. So we are trying to bring that same technology for our SMEs and MSMEs where we can bring in very simple tools for them to better their manufacturing output. So that's the acquisition for again in the pursuit of really bringing digital transformation in the SME manufacturing ecosystem. It's a bit, it's going to be definitely time taking and it's going to be a bit medium to long term. But it aligns with our dream and aspiration of truly making every factory in India a cloud factory where a guy even sitting in North America who wants to buy, let's say an enterprise customer who wants to buy Gucci jeans from an Indian manufacturer, he can see everything live from there and a true cloud factory infrastructure is produced from India. So yeah, again, a a larger long-term dream, but I think right time for us to start investing into into that.
1: Will it be machine learning that there'll be cameras which will let you measure what is the raw material getting consumed. And then there'll be some devices measuring electricity consumption. and So it's primarily IoT enabled. So there are
0: hardware sensors who can track the moment of material inventory and other things in the warehouse. And they can speak to the machine because most of these machines today come with that capability of giving a data output which can be read through a software or a hardware solution. So bringing all those data inputs from the machine and capturing the key moments through IoT-enabled infrastructure in the factory, you are able to devise those outputs. And again, the very fact that these today There is no science or intelligence that goes in the way that those SMEs today manufacture. Even a very small tweak results into a massive impact which comes into the setup. So if you can affect the manufacturing efficiency of a Maruti or Bosch, who are super advanced in the way they carry out manufacturing, bringing the similar technology to these SMEs, we believe we can create a much larger impact. Much wide based and much more empowering for for these manufacturers, so yeah, that's how we are thinking about it
1: yeah, what else what other parts of the business that we have not discussed so far? I think a lot of this comes
0: from people and the team that we have built, and how we have built an environment which is Full of trust, transparency, ethics, governance, radical kind—what of we fondly call it. Where there's just a team of 260 people at this scale.
1: That's why we are so capital efficient. And so what is the scale like? Help me understand. What is your turnover per employee, or what is your total turnover today? Like, so this month we'll end up touching
0: close to 800 million dollar on analyzed revenue. So it will be close to 3.4 million dollar per person, which is quite high. Yeah. So.
1: And then, uh, how do you measure turnover? Are you measuring the turnover on the base platform that uh, from your customers? Uh- the value of goods,
0: yeah. The value of goods transacted because everything flows through us. It's a transaction-led uh, trade enablement platform.
1: No? Th- this number is actually the GMV number. Like It is not the r- revenue per se. It is revenue because in accounting terms, it gets invoiced through us.
0: Supplier invoices us, we invoice customer in a transaction-led model. So from an accounting
1: stand- uh, standpoint... You're offering it as a SaaS, right? Uh, so it's like a combination. It's a transaction-led... Okay. It's a combination of SaaS and e-commerce here. So
0: the delivery of the services is SaaS-like, but still at the heart of it, it's a transaction-led model to provide it the necessary components for building that SaaS. So that's how we look at it.
1: So when you are charging the customer for the platform, is it through a markup on the invoice? Like you markup the vendor invoice to recover your platform fees or it's a fixed annual like... Like for artwork flow, the way we
0: charge, it's basis the number of artworks. For bidding, uh, we intend to charge basis number of bids that you you are carrying out. So again, we have made it very modular and consumption basis so that there is little sort of friction in adopting or trying it. And again, typical the...
1: This would also mean that this is a postpaid SaaS, not a prepaid SaaS. Most SaaS uh, SaaS tools are prepaid, right? Where you charge in advance. This is more like a postpaid because you, you will charge based on consumption. So which means that at the end of the month, based on how much consumption has happened in the month, you will raise an invoice. Yeah, but there are like uh, there are price models built, which tell you that if you, let's say, approve
0: up to 500 artworks, this much uh, it will cost you. And there is a base price. So it is designed in again, SaaS-like with certain buckets. And if you cross those, of course, there is an additional charge. But Again, from that perspective, I would call it a prepaid model only
1: because there's a pricing which is clear to the customer and starts paying
0: before he uses.
1: Okay, okay. The base price is paid upfront, and if they cross a certain threshold, then you got it. And but what is your earning? Like, are, are you at liberty to share that? Like, in, in terms of your earning, would one be the SaaS subscription fees, and second would be what you earn through interest sharing? from NBFCs, so, so what is that number like? So all of that today amounts to close to 4% as net
0: margin that we are able to make on the value of goods and that su- suffices for all the cost and expenses that we have and basis that we are able to make close to 1% a bit on a, on the business at this scale and still growing at a, at least a 10% month on month uh, scale to be able to truly benefit from this self-serve model and bring in capital efficiency and scale at the same time
1: like 10% month on month growth is driven by acquisition of more customers or is it driven by existing customers increasing the transactions that happen through the platform like what is the growth strategy it's a very beautiful
0: blend of both because the market size and the market opportunity is so big we are at a 700 million dollar but by the market is at least a 300 billion dollar market that We have the ability to capture. So from that perspective, it's us who is saying no to the business today, where we are limiting the growth, but all our existing customers, as well as the new customer in pipeline are wanting to transact more and more.
1: Why are you saying no? Is it that there are some kind of customers you don't want to touch yet or? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So Okay. What is that? Like, is it based on the product type, like certain product categories you don't want to do right now or?
0: Not really. I think it's primarily driven through the entire risk assessment that we do, because at the end, we are taking some risk on the receivables of the customer. And we want to be very prudent and very scientific in terms of, so we, today we analyze close to 50 data points from the customer and then we analyze another 30, 20, 30 data points on the SME before taking a call that whether this transaction is should be funded or not. So again, just want to be more and more careful, prudent, scientific, and disciplined about this, because if we are able to have a very strong foundation built around this, we will secure our future in terms of how we'll scale it. Because we know that the market opportunity is very big. So important for us to be armed with all possible potential solutions and risk mitigation efforts so that we can truly capture and realize that.
1: What What is the, there? I see a couple of ways in which you Can expand or diversify. One could be, for example, you could get your own NBFC license. Is that something which you have in mind? So again, we believe in the power of platform and the power of technology,
0: bringing a lot of ecosystem players on the platform. India today has thousand NBFCs and we believe that we can bring those thousand NBFCs on this platform to service a market which is very large and still yet absolutely unserviced. So we believe in that sort of an approach, and that's what we will keep building towards. But, and that makes the that enhances our ability to go global as well, because as a fintech platform, you can do that where you, the NBFC can be based out of Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Bangladesh, anywhere, and we can just plug and play. While if we try to do that, we are constrained by a lot of regulations and a lot of other things, which will eventually limit our scalability and not make us a true tech platform. So. Yeah, I think that's how we think about it.
1: The other expansion or like diversification you could do is uh, getting into regular consumables, not the custom-built consumables. Because if that customer is already, his purchase team is using you for one kind of purchase, then they could use you for the other kind of purchase also. So is that something you plan to do? So that's actually
0: naturally have started to happen. And in fact, it's transpiring in a way where if they are buying anything from an SME or MSME, where their their own effort on managing the SME and bringing, make, getting the best out of the SME is very limited, is something that they are wanting to bring on the platform. So that's why today we are doing packaging, which is 40 to 45 percent of the all the revenue base. We launched textile and apparel two years back,
1: that is already constituting 40 percent. Then there are what is the uh, this is like uh, textile which is purchased by a, like say a, a Van in buying textile to make jeans. Okay. And in fact, Vanuysen, when he gets that jeans, he gets it contract
0: manufactured. So he managing his contract manufacture of jeans on Bajonga's platform. So that alongside food and FMCG inputs, we have started uh, getting into those. And again, all of these are net. Give me an example, like in food and FMCG. Like uh, you will be procuring specially ingredients uh, in some cases as a food company, pulp and anything which goes as an input material in making of your finished good. So all of that can be, is again, primarily coming from SMEs and can be digitized by using the same platform. So wherever we are seeing anything outside of commodity, which is very large buy that they are making there is hardly one or two suppliers who are involved there they don't they don't currently need any anything additional to manage that but everything else
1: is something that we anticipate coming to the platform and getting digitized becoming like a moglix or having that as one of the offerings like moglix does like where they can businesses can place orders for very standard skus no that's why the
0: entire branded finished goods play as i had mentioned that's a very different supply chain because it has got distributors wholesalers traders retailers and all of them involved and our broad assumption and basic hypothesis is that 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 has to be serviced through an inventory-led model and that's what amazon business has done globally disrupting most of such businesses so you have to compete with amazon eventually to really succeed in that inventory-led game and that's why not something that we you know we dare to do we are uh, keeping away us from that side of our service model
1: Basically, anything which an SME is manufacturing, you want that transaction to happen through Bizon Go. And later on, expand into exports uh,
0: because there is a huge export capability in packaging, textile, specialty chemicals. All of these are manufa- SME-driven uh, in terms of manufacturing. And then in future, having a, sort of an upstream integration as well, where we can enable these SMEs to digitize their upstream supply chain as well. So those are the few. What, what, what do you mean by upstream s- supply chain here? So in in the example that we spoke, Vanuysen buying jeans from their contract manufacturer, the SME then has to buy fabric or yarn from a raw material supplier, which also is quite broken today as an experience and which results into true price efficiency if you are able to help the SME do that more scientifically. So we are bringing raw material intelligence, raw material price tracking, and again, digitizing that entire part as well and connecting it with the with the downstream transaction to build what we truly call as a full stack multi-stack supply chain solution today it doesn't exist anywhere in the world if you're buying the finished good what fabric it is made of and how that is flowing through the supply chain Giving that com- complete tracking on one single cloud platform is what we eventually wish to build for. And you, you can imagine there so many things that that we have plans of doing and that's what keeps us away.
1: Tell me the plan on the export side. W- would you do the same? Like tell a company buying from India, like say IKEA sources from India for the global supply chain. So you, you tell IKEA that get your vendors here or would you tell IKEA that we will find new vendors like what is the approach no the again the former one where she tell that we will
0: digitize your supply base and maybe not just in india and southeast asia and uh, we are seeing those global macro shifts where these sourcing are shifting from china and russia to southeast asia and south asia so we see Us becoming a global trade environment platform where the entire Southeast Asia and South Asia suppliers are there. And a lot of these customers from US, Europe, Middle East are managing them through Buzongo's cloud platform.
1: Do you also see selling other products to SMEs like say insurance or like, you know, maybe say an ERP product for SMEs where they can manage their bookkeeping, their payroll and all of those. Like you have these... ProfitBook and QuickBook and all of these and so, so do you see yourself getting into all of those areas also? So yeah, I've formed a small team in Bizongo
0: where we are starting to work on a what we are terming it as a digital app store for SMEs, where you know anything which can be digitally be serviced to these SMEs for their business needs. Either we'll probably build few of those ourselves, but largely a marketplace where we can bring in the best of class app to them at a a reasonable rate so that they can digitize their business. So we are starting to imagine it early days, but yeah, something which is interesting.
1: So tell me about learning to manage a large team. You were pretty young. I guess you must have been 23, something like that. When you started off BizOnGo, how did you learn to manage people? You have 250 odd people today. So tell me about this learning, like building teams, growing an organization, managing people, aligning people. No, I think those learnings also frankly came
0: in a, in a hard way, I would say, where we had our own share of failures while all three of us as founders were very sensitive about the kind of cult that we build, and we had a lot of focus on the same. In our early two, three years, we realized that Again, in spite of all of those efforts and outlooks, we were not being super successful at that. And and that was a time. In what way? Like what? What were the things you were seeing that were going wrong? Again, I think the measure, the best measure for us was employee NPS, and that was. Okay, you were measuring that. Okay. Yeah. And that was not looking good. And it took us time to identify that what, where we are going wrong. And that was a time when uh, all three of us started opting for an executive coaching program. So we went through an executive coaching. My coach happens to be the ex-MD of Pyramil Enterprises. And I think we all three can very proudly say that really changed, transformed the way we started looking at being a true leader versus being a passionate entrepreneur who is trying to drive everything through passion, but not a lot of leadership trades trades, so i think those things really helped us identify what really makes it for building a culture where you can bring the best out of the people and as i said as i had previously said i think the key learnings were that we have to be super transparent radically candid brutally honest in each of our conversation with our people on a large forum in one of, in one-on-ones in a small forum be vulnerable and give them an environment that they can blindly trust. You know, we saw the magic unfold where people started achieving what we earlier thought was not even possible. So we started breaching our targets. We started overachieving beyond our imaginations and ambitions. And But again, my personal learning is that it is something that it's not something that is built and will be surviving forever. Every day you have to practice as an organization. You have to set up those examples. You have to really make that as a as a pulse of the organization where everyone does that on a continuous basis to keep that culture alive, which is not easy. And But we believe we are building that environment. We are creating those leaders who are behaving, starting to behave in this way. And if you are able to continue doing that, nothing is unachievable. This is what I truly believe.
1: So this is the first time I'm hearing a startup founder talk about getting an executive coach, which is like such a refreshing thing to hear. Most founders believe themselves to be like extremely talented and so on. and so. But what made you feel that you need executive coaching? Was it like prompted by the VCs who invested in you, they suggested, or like you started seeing things going wrong and you thought, I need an expert to help me or like?
0: Yeah, I think it it was a combination of both. Really appreciate the efforts of early stage investors like Axel, Chirate and the corresponding people who have been working with us. They have been true supporter of entrepreneurship and have always been trying to find a solution alongside us. So it was actually a combination of... Uh, both of that they are telling us that something like this exists and again i had previously shared that i think uh, as founders we one thing that we really admire about ourselves honest to ourselves self-aware and we are honest and if something is not going uh, our way we tell each other that this is what is not going right and uh, we try to find solution which can make us better and because our uh, uh, enps score was not looking up we told ourselves that we must be making, we must be doing something wrong as founders, not being able to do that. And now we have a very sort of a coaching culture where all the first time managers and the other leaders, uh, we are continuously enrolling them into coaching program. And we've seen the people getting transformed in form of how do they lead people. And that's truly satisfying and outside of the business impact. Also, as you see young people, entrepreneurs, passionate, getting transformed
1: into people leaders, Uh, you feel great about it. What is your management style? Do you focus a lot on performance and achieving goals or do you do a lot of delegation or how do you make sure that there is alignment of like in terms of achieving what needs to be achieved and yet maintaining a high employee NPS
0: So I believe in a very hands-off an approach. And then when I think it fundamentally, I, I like the framework of why, what, and how. And I believe that if you make the why very clear to people that why we are wanting to do something that we are wanting to do and what we really want to achieve out of it, as a leader, your responsibility is to have alignment on that and have alignment in a form where you have truly heard everyone you have been absolutely candid about your uh, why and your what, those clearly defined, hearing from people in terms of their inputs. And in fact, let them only define what once they've understood the why. I think my job is to just align people on why, share my why and have that bring that alignment, then let people define their why, what. And then we see how automatically getting executed. That's what I would probably describe how I've started operating as a leader.
1: It's, do you have like annual goal setting, performance review based on goals achieved, and so so all those hard measures of performance management are in place?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I believe again in the event of absolute trust and transparency. That's that's needed, and uh, having a consistent communication with the person in terms of what's going, what's not going right only helps build that environment of trust where something is not going. The person must feel that you are standing with him in those tough times. You have, he has your back and full support where he can just get over it and start creating impact.
1: So the performance management system is essentially a tool to Ensure communication. It, it's not like a tool to reward slash penalize, but it's just to ensure communication is happening on communication. Yeah. Okay. And feedback is going. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Okay.
0: And just make the other person feel absolutely psychologically secure that he, he can confide in you, he can share anything and everything with you, and he has your back. I think if you provide him that environment, in 99% cases, we have seen his own abilities or our own ability to get out of any problems and situations and emerge as a is, is
1: truly realized. Okay, okay. And tell me about the funding. So, you raised 3 million Series A uh, and then uh, subsequent to that? Yes, yeah, so subsequent to that. 2016, you raised that Series A, right? From. Excellent yeah, then we raised a series B round
0: of funding from B Capital and IFC, who led the the next round. That was I think in 2017. That was close to 15 million dollar. So we raised 15 million dollar in series B. Then uh, 2018-19 we raised Series C. That was close to 45 million dollar, where we had Schroeder at WAC, this alternative investment firm coming and leading the round. And the last round which happened last year. We raised $110 million led by Tiger there and had CDC and IFC AMC coming as new investors on board in that journey.
1: Uh, Have you gone global beyond that one artwork management product for the other products? Have you started going global like for the base platform? Not yet, not yet. Okay, but that's uh, like in the roadmap for uh, how soon like?
0: Uh, So I think uh, we are observing how customers are adopting the artwork flow platform because that's a true SaaS offering and that's what is received very well in, in the larger or developed markets at least so we are seeing basis that how we can maybe try with bidding platform which is also a pure SaaS offering so we have not yet decided whether transaction-led model is the way to go for the overseas markets so well, first we will try with all SaaS offering global market and see how those are getting received and maybe by that time have a, an absolute marketplace version of the platform where we don't need to be part of the transaction and even the base platform can also be offered as a SaaS offering. So we want to just test and validate that hypothesis before we take it in that way.
1: Probably for countries like Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, you could just directly uh, offer what you're doing in India like without much modification absolutely so i think for enabling domestic trade in any of these geographies even
0: the likes of indonesia malaysia Thailand, emerging vietnam all of these emerging markets that should be very much doable but our our eyes are more on enabling cross-border trade trade enablement where smes in india can supply outside again being more passionate about transforming indian business ecosystem and how we can and our enable SMEs here. So that will be probably the first intent.
2: If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in that is d-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-n dot i-n for a complete list of all our shows.